What's up, world? I go by the name of Jabari. Words with Friends podcast is back. I'm in New York. It's NBA All-Star weekend. It's been a crazy weekend. And I've been pretty busy, but I found some time to get with a very good friend of mine, somebody that I look up to in business, somebody that has uh, really embraced me along the, along the duration of my career, helped me out in many different ways, and it's good to be here. So before I introduce this man, you guys know, if you want to support the podcast, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Jabari, and you guys can leave as little as a $1 tip for the podcast if you get an inspiration from this, if you like the people I'm talking to, and if you want to ensure that I can keep having these conversations, you can support the podcast with as little as a $1 tip. But without further ado, the founder of Nuka, he is a inventor, he is a designer, He's Art, a, artist, an artist, educator, educator, futurist, futurist, all of the above, techno progressivist. <laughs> My man, Matthew Waldman. What's up? Not much. I'm here talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, man? Uh, things are good. You know, you're here in New York, so you know how freezing it is, right? It, it's, it's too frigid for yeah, me. It's like yeah. For your European listeners, it's minus 15 degrees Celsius. Yeah. But other than that, I'm good. Yeah. Good, good, man. So we are. In your office. Um, you've been in this office for how long now? About a year and a half now. Okay. Yeah, we were on 36th Street before, okay. and uh, now we're on uh, 45th Street. So. Okay. But both offices, if you remember, had a view of the Chrysler building. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So just different angles. Um, with how, how is, you know, everybody talks about the price of New York and New York being expensive. Just out of curiosity, do you feel like it's too expensive to have an office for, you know, a lean company in, like, the middle of Manhattan? Is this... Well, we, we are lean. We've never taken outside uh, capital, so we are always bootstrapped and getting by the skin of our teeth. And what people who are don't know Manhattan real estate well... I mean, honestly, we wanted to be in Brooklyn. We looked at spaces in Williamsburg, Dumbo, um, even as far as Bushwick, uh, and also in Long Island City. And Manhattan, when you're off of the avenues, is cheaper than those places. Really? Yeah. I mean, you can, the, a lot of the, as long as it's like, you, you see our space, it's not a renovated building, it's an old building. Mm. So a lot of the buildings on the side streets haven't been renovated, and uh, it's kind of like a totally different world than the avenues, and it's actually cheaper than Brooklyn and cheaper than Queens. To get office space. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Well, and the other thing also is uh, you have to compare it to other cities that have the talent pool that you need to work with, or that or people you need to hire. So, in that sense, Manhattan, if you're midtown and you're on a side street, is cheaper. It's cheaper than getting an office in San Francisco. It's mm. cheaper than being in Soho downtown or being in uh, in Williamsburg. So yeah, yeah. you got to balance the cost. Wow. Um, let's talk a little bit about. Nuka, for those that don't know, um, explain what the company is, how you started it, and what you're known for now. Cool. Uh, Nuka is uh, my brand. It's a techno-progressivist fashion brand. Uh, more succinctly, I like to bring the revolution of interface design to physical objects. And uh, I also like to tell the story of universal language. Um, when you talk about universal language as a conversation or even as an intellectual argument, it becomes an argument. But when you tell that story through objects and through fashion, you actually uh, 
subversively, subliminally, whatever word you want to use, you're actually engendering this conversation about living on one planet and communicating as one species with one language with, with lo a lot of things in common with other people. So the mission is actually quite big, mm -hmm. um, even though the company is, is, is still small. I'm you know optimistic that we're going to blow it out soon. Um, but that's pretty much it, yeah. And uh, you are known mostly for time Mostly for watches, for time pieces, okay. yeah. yeah. And I guess... With, I guess, a vision that big, right? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's, it's a lot to swallow and digest for a normal consumer. So how, how do you get that message across to somebody that just wants to wear a watch, or just wants to wear a cool belt, or just wants to wear some sunglasses? Well, I think that uh, the design language is so well articulated that people, without even reading, you know, our design manifesto, people actually get it. They look mm -hmm. at the watch face and they're, oh wait a minute, there are no numbers here, but I can read this. You know, there are a lot of other design objects that are a little bit, especially in watches, that are digital watch space that are overly complicated. Um, and you need to know binary, like the binary watch, for example. But our... Explain me what the binary watch is. Binary like, watch is, uh, it was popular, I think, in the, you know, a couple of years ago. It's, uh, it looks similar to what um, we've been doing. Actually, The Guardian in the UK credits me with reinvigorating uh, digital watches in general, so wow. got to be proud of some of the press you get every now and then. Yes, right? yes, yes. But um, yeah, that was a watch that just had uh, uh, maybe five, maybe ten dots, and each dot represents uh, a number in binary. So if you don't know how to do math in binary, you can't read it. Oh. It's extremely geeky. So it upsets me when people lump us into that same category of this like geek wear, and they think, oh, that looks really hard to read, which is not true. Our watches are extremely intu intuitive. And moreover, uh, they're just, it, it's designed as a fashion object. So I design for objects to have a emotional, uh, the feature set includes, you know, trying to engender certain emotions in people and certain reactions and certain connections in people. So people get it. I don't have to explain it that often. So Okay. Now, you started this company, I guess, you, you, you took a, a, a different route where you worked in... Uh, design, correct? Yeah, I did branding and corporate identity work um, as well as interactive design. I had one of the first interactive design studios in the 90s. Wow. In 97, um, I had this company called New York Zoom down at 55 Broad Street, which they were calling Silicon Alley <laughs> at the time. Wow. As opposed to Silicon Valley. Yep. Uh, so I was there at the beginning of that whole, before the dot-com bubble grew and burst and I was doing um, interaction design, developing my own uh, theories and processes for information architecture at the time because it wasn't even called that. I mean, you couldn't, there was no information architect to hire. So mm -hmm. I had to try to figure that out for my clients. And Nuka is a, an outgrowth of that. So the, there's definitely a, it doesn't look, I guess it does look like a logical progression, but it was all, a lot of it was happenstance. What made you want to start your own company? It was actually accidental. Um, I had uh, designed the watches and conceptualized the brand Nuka as this brand to promote optimism and futurism, and mainly for men. I always felt that women have so many options with shoes and, and accessories and, you know, guys, what do we have? We have sneakers and shoes and watches and neckties, and I don't wear suits or neckties, so I'm limited to watches and, and, and kicks. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to be able to try to expand uh, the vocabulary for guys as well. So there, there was definitely this fashion uh, 
imperative behind doing Nuka. But when I had come up with the designs for the watches, this was before manufacturing in China came, really you know, came to be this, what it is now. And I uh, had licensed it originally to Seiko in Japan. So really? I never really saw the watch itself um, as something that I myself could do. It just seemed too complicated a product. But uh, when Seiko gave up doing digital watches altogether, they basically threw the baby out with the bathwater. They had their own digital. They had Pulsar. They had Spoon. Uh, they had Nuka. Uh, some friends were telling me, you know, go to China. Find a factory. Do it yourself. And I had some orders from the MoMA store. They were like, we really would like to order these again if you could get these. You know, we want to continue selling them. So... Is that your first buyer, the moment store? Yeah, the moment store was my first placement, so wow. it was really lucky. Um, but again, like my background is design, so I was able to leverage those relationships. And I still had a design studio. I, by that time, I was working as a creative director at Reuters. I had a design studio that I had staffed out of my apartment downtown on the side, and then I had Nuka, you know, where I just did sort of as a side project. My feeling was, okay, I'll produce 2,000 watches just to fulfill these orders, and if I sell them all out, I'm going to make some money. I looked at it like an investment. And I also felt if I don't sell any of them, I'm going to have the coolest birthday and Christmas gifts for 10 years. <laughs> so the, the approach was very uh, lighthearted. Is that a good word? Okay. Yep. Uh, but then it turned into a real business. It was like they sold out faster than I thought. I made more money than I thought. That was then. Now I'm struggling. <laughs> but <laughs> at that time, you know, at that small scale, it, was, yeah. it seemed like, wow. You know, my friends were like, you, this should be your business. And like you said, you never took any outside capital, so this was yeah. all just money that you saved up and put into it? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I've always been, I come from like a, a pretty poor family in Jamaica, Queens, so it was, uh, for me, um, that instead of, that made me really smart about money from a really early age, because I looked at my parents and I was like, I don't want to make any of their mistakes. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to use a credit card, I'm going to just, you know buy things when I have money so I, I had this real world um, experience with investment by the time you know I was in my 30s so when the dot-com bubble happened I lost pretty much every penny I had ever saved and I was like man this sucks but I didn't get upset about it like you know stock market is like a casino you gotta you, know, you have to be ready to lose you gotta be ready to lose it right, right? But I had also, you know, I bought an apartment when real estate was really bad uh, in New York in the 90s. It was like, you know, you could buy a building in the East Village for, you know, under a million dollars. And I had bought a small apartment and I sold it. So I was sitting on this money, but because I had lost money in the stock market, I was like, shit, I'm not going to do that again. Mm. Let me invest it in my own projects. Yeah. So it, it just didn't, it seemed like, you know, a good investment. But like I said, it was also, I was like, you know what, it's not that much money for me. It wasn't that much money. My initial capital investment was about... Hundred thousand okay. dollars for Nuka. for the two thousand watches. Yeah, okay. I mean that includes you know designing and printing, packaging, and doing some PR. Yeah. I mean it was really lean. Yeah, at yeah. The beginning. Yeah. Now, were you doing all this yourself? Did you have some sort of a team? Yeah, because I'm wondering what a new brand. You're saying, hey, this is a new watch company. This is a cool design. But then, how do you get that product out to the masses? Well, the thing now because of China. Um, it's really easy to launch to launch a product mm. company. It's really hard to sustain and grow it past a certain size. Now, so, is that is that because of a production or a marketing standpoint? Well, when I started, it was also the timing was really really good. 
Um, it was right at the beginning of when, uh, like, if we can call it the blog explosion, you mm-hmm. know, and it also was, I'd say, the peak of uh, publishing in, in the world. I mean, like, there used to be, and we're not even talking about ancient times, we're just talking 10 years ago. I mean, there used to be literally 10 times more magazines. I mean, there were, there were more men's fashion magazines, there were more women's fashion magazines, and people actually read blogs. So even though we were really small and we couldn't afford advertising, uh, the product was new, the product was interesting, uh, we were able to get things manufactured in China affordably, um, and we were able to support and push the sales basically through bloggers. And now, because of Instagram, I'd say it's really hard to do it now. I don't think, I just think that the timing we did it was really, really, you know, it was a lot of magical elements converging at the same time. Uh, but to answer your question about team, I had a team of three people. I had a, the production person wasn't an employee, he worked for the factory, but we became very good friends. Okay. Uh, he uh, works with me now as one of my business partners. And then I also was teaching at Parsons, and one of my students interned for me, and she was my design team. Okay. So, and uh, she would go to, you know, my apartment during the day, and I would go to my corporate job. And uh, but then when things started picking up, I was like, "Wow, this is you know, this is a business." And I had to hire part timers and eventually get a small office. When at what at what point? Because I think this is something that a lot of entrepreneurs or aspiring and budding entrepreneurs struggle with: is at what point do you have to leave the corporate job to put all of your energy into your own company? Well. I'd say it's when um, when you can afford to pay yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, if if you're starting to generate some money. Pay yourself now. Does that mean just bare minimum get by? Yeah, get oh, by. Okay. Like you need it needs your uh, it needs your attention. You know, it really depends on the person. Some people do not know how to delegate. I mean, I have no problem delegating. Like even before I quit my corporate job, you know, my. Uh, design assistant who was a former student I trusted her implicitly not for business stuff but like for you know getting the website up and you know getting PDFs or press releases out Um, I'm happy delegating as much as I can I mean that's what I like to do but some people are really hands-on if you're a hands-on person you might have to quit right away but the thing is there's it's there's no one formula yeah because um, just because I didn't take outside capital, I mean, we probably should have. You know, we had enough press at the beginning to get people interested when it was would have been a more interesting investment for someone. Now that we've been invest, uh, in, in business for a while, we're not we're not a startup anymore. Talk talk a little bit about that, man, because I, that is such I'm 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 sort of uh, going through that now. I mean, I, I think that I know how to make things quote unquote sexy. Um, for for people to get excited about it and say, hey, you know, we uh, we want we want to get involved with whatever you're doing, you know, I, that's kind of been that's kind of been like the key to a lot of my career thus far. Mm-hmm. But you know, now it's just I need more money than I've ever needed before right. for, to do certain projects. How how important is is that sexy, new, fresh, exciting element? You know, as it relates to your company and getting outside capital. Oh, any company, not just my mm-hmm. company. You have to, there's one rule that I didn't follow because I had bad advice from a business, because after I started and we started making money, like I said, and I quit the corporate job, I actually hired, not hired, I got a business partner for equity and salary. Okay. And uh, I'm not going to say, he wasn't a bad person in in any way, but uh, his advice in retrospect was not, you know, what I think I should have followed. And 
But the common wisdom is if someone offers you money, you take it. Mm. Yeah. So it's, uh, <laughs> and we turned down money at the beginning, you know, because we were making money. So okay. my business partner at the time said we're making. So you guys money. didn't want to give up equity and. Exactly, I did, okay. but my business partner didn't. So I, I, I feel that that advice was was wrong. Uh, I think that the, the 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 advice that you know you read in business books is never if someone offers to invest in your company, never turn down the money. Of course, I mean it's overgeneralized, but the reason being, like to go back to the original question, to do it at the beginning, is if you don't have any history. Everything you say, like if you say for your TV production or whatever, uh, this show is going to generate a uh, billion dollars a year in advertising sales, you can't, um, no one can tell you, well, that's, someone can say that's bullshit, but they can't point to numbers on your books and say, well, no, that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Because it's a totally new thing. And you, if you can get someone excited about that valuation before there are numbers on the book, absolutely mm -hmm. do that story because the potential is there. Right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas in my company, we've been in business for a while. The potential for us to be a $33 billion brand is real. I mean, I'm confident of it. Getting into the wearable technology space, for example, even if we had a small percentage, even one percentage of what that's going to be in five years, we come up with a very educated number of $33 you know, million. I said billion, I'm sorry. 30, okay, okay. $33 million. million dollars, okay, right? $33 million. So. Um, but because I have history, uh, a pure, like if I get the, the right person that really believes the dream, yeah, they'll cut a check. They might not cut it based on a $33 million valuation. They might say, okay, $12 million or whatever number it is. But because I have history, they're going to say, well, your sales don't really justify that uh, projection. Mm -hmm. So you have to, it's much harder to justify. Mm -hmm. So if you could do it at the beginning before there's any history, um, it's much easier to tell a bigger story. Well, do you think it's, it's, you know, we've talked about this before, but people creating basically products out of thin air using things like Kickstarter that mm -hmm. are just, and, and, and things that are just models and, yeah. the, and, you know, people get so hyped and the internet is such a, the internet is all about hype, yeah. you know, quite frankly. Well, not the internet, the world is the, about hype. <laughs> yeah, the, the world, world the world. Hype. And so, you know, when you say, hey, this product is coming out and it can do, it, it they're People make claims of things that don't even exist and, that, and say that this is going to be able to do this and it doesn't even exist, but then those products get fully funded. So you've seen that happen. I've seen that. It's very frustrating, yeah. Wow. So, I mean, maybe just talk a little bit about an example of that, you know, without throwing dirt on the person's name or whatever, but... Well, I mean, there, there are quite a few famous uh, Kickstarter projects that either didn't deliver or when they delivered, people were not happy. Um, there are some audio products. I mean, uh, I'm not dishing it, but like the we could talk about a real famous one that people are. I don't say they're unhappy, but for example, uh, Pono uh, raised a lot of money. What, I'm not uh, familiar. It's an MP3 oh. player that has lossless uh, files, right? Oh. Uh. And the but the real science behind it is that with no matter how high end, you know, if you don't have the highest end, even if you have the highest end head, audio headsets. There's humans, and they've done all these double-blind tests, cannot hear the, the difference, difference between, you know, an MP3-encoded uh, um. music. Moreover, what happened with Pono is they also were going to recreate this high-end audio iTunes model. Okay. And when you go on their music store, there's very, there are hardly any titles available in the format that they, that they sold for the piece. So... 
it's kind of interesting to see, you know, you half the people are really happy and they buy the hype. Mm -hmm. They really believe that it is a superior product and they love it. But then there's a whole, you know, cadre of people that are like, man, why did I spend the money for this? Yeah. But at the end of the day, Kickstarter, if you read the fine print, this is the thing. People don't read the fine print. Yeah. You are donating money for someone to develop their dream. And that's what investment is. Like, people have failed many, like Steve Jobs failed more than once. You know, uh, Apple went bankrupt more than once. Not, not, not technically bankrupt, but they had to be bailed out. And uh, I think the second time they were bailed out by Microsoft. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, when you look at the real stories, what looks like a huge success, whether it's Kickstarter or a real business, a lot of times there's, there are a lot of failures that people learn from in them. Yeah. And people need to realize that when you're doing a Kickstarter, or especially if you're investing, you are investing in a dream. And sometimes dreams turn into nightmares. It's yeah. just, <laughs> you know? I mean, I think there's a, there's a difference with creating that hype sort of publicly on a platform like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, crowdfunding, X site. Yeah. But there's also, you know, then there's creating that platform sort of behind closed doors. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's why the government wants to regulate crowdfunding. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's why, like, pure crowdfunding. Like, right now, uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo are in this gray area because if you read the terms and conditions, it is crowdfunding. You are investing. Mm -hmm. But the structure is that you're actually pre-buying a product. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what it's that's morphed the way they into. Present it. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. but if you read the terms and conditions, you really are. You're not in. You're not investing because you're not getting equity. You're mm -hmm. giving money to for the promise of of a product. But so, you're not. But you're not buying the product. Like yeah. when people try to get their money back, that's where it's an issue, and they get upset because they don't understand what they're doing. They are donating to a product. Yeah, it's really donating. They're yeah. donating, uh -huh. and um, it's a donation thing. It's a, and you have to. Um, you have to understand that. But mm -hmm. we're talking about hype. And yeah. I think hype is really important to understand and utilize because, you know, everyone, I don't know if everyone if, uh, pays attention to the world, but, you know, you have South America, you have China, and you have India. You have these huge numbers of people entering the middle class. And they're all going to be buying into popular culture, whether it's indigenous or something that we export. You know, rap music is exported. The fashion is exported. Um, they'll probably create their own things that get exported to us as well, not just manufacturing. And how are you going to be, uh, how do you, you know, if you're talking about a market in the U.S., which is huge, it's, you know, three and a half million, no, not three and a half million. 350 million people, right? In the U.S.? Yeah, yeah I don't know the numbers. That. Whatever but it is. But if you, yeah, if you multiply that, you know, like China has three times more people. Like, how do you get your voice heard? You've got to yeah. have some hype. Yeah. You know, it's like people get frustrated. It's like, oh, but I'm more talented than that person. Or, oh, like people are always like, uh, oh, I don't even want to open up the Kanye West thing. But the whole thing with Kanye West is... You know, he's a one-man hype machine, so, uh, and people say, you know, how is he getting attention, like, his attention for Fashion Week takes away from people that truly are, that should be getting the attention, mm -hmm. and it's that, not to argue whether that's true or not, but the fact of the matter is that the person who can get the attention of the press that, that could generate the most hype is going to get the most attention. Yeah. Now, whether that translates into more business or not, you know, there's other factors involved, but hype is really but, important. I mean, I think with Kanye, it did. I think, I mean, that the, the Yeezy boost sold out. 
uh, and and I, I don't I think it sold out in a, in a matter of hours. Yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Hours. You know, and uh, the 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 anticipation for the Adidas line is so great. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I've had arguments with you know because I'm in the design world and people in the design world, you know, they they hate they hate seeing this. But even before that, they said, oh, it's not going to sell like his fashion line last year in Paris. I did bombed. I'm like, well, that might have bombed because. There was no hype really around it. Well, no, there was a lot of hype about it, and it actually is a very poorly designed collection. Mm -hmm. But these shoes are nice, Mm -hmm. and it's Adidas. And I I told people, it is going to sell. Trust me. And and people said, well, maybe it will. I said, no, trust me, it will. It's like, you know, and it's, uh, you know, even people that criticize the celebrities, the celebrity culture, to me, it's very, very scientific. It's very much that you have, like, I'm not an old man. I'm older than you, but I'm not like, you know, this old guy, yeah. you know, and the world population is already double what it was, you know, when I was a kid, double. So, you know, that means your voice has got to get twice as loud, yeah. you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like, how are you going to reach twice as many people? And more than that, that means that there are twice as many talented people competing for the same accolades. Like, mm. there'll never be more than... 10 super famous architects at a time or 10 super famous uh, fashion brands. So how do you um, how do you get heard? Well, don't you think though that too much hype is a bad thing? Because hype I, I think that hype with substance is amazing, you know? And I think that's that's kind of what Kanye West provides. You know, he's Whoa. he's a true artist. He even even if you know, people want to talk about his design chops if they're not there or he's just entering the space. You can tell that he is devoted to at least becoming, learning, and, like, being a better designer. You know, he, he's, he has some sort of passion well, yes, about it. Yes and no. Yes and no. Because what you're touching upon mm-hmm. is authenticity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Exactly. So, the, I believe that his fashion, his couture line... Um, failed last year because it really does lack authenticity. Okay. So I don't think that uh, you can have too much hype, but I think what ends up being sticky, like what sticks and what becomes successful is based on um, how authentic it is. Mm-hmm. So the connection between uh, popular music, especially rap music, and kicks and sneaker culture is real. Yeah. So to me, that's very authentic. Um, and it's also easier to collaborate on a shoe design, you know, like it's easy to collaborate on a watch design. But creating a whole couture collection requires the type of authenticity that you cannot manufacture. Mm. So in that sense, yeah, Kanye West is creating a lot of hype that tends to be, in that particular space, a lot of noise because it lacks the authenticity. Mm. Um, okay. Now, how could he create that authenticity? I think he could, you know, uh, but it's not, not the way he's doing it now. How do, you think, how do you think he could? Um, he can call me up. He knows who I am. <laughs> uh, I'm more than happy to uh, mentor him as a, uh, in the fashion world. But he, uh, he's, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it can be done. Mm-hmm. I do believe it can be done. He has really great people on his team. You know, like uh, Jerry Lorenzo, Fear of God. You know, that's great stuff, but that's got a lot of authenticity in the fashion world. So it's... Uh, Anyway, I mean, it can be done. But, yeah, to answer your, like, to, for your point, can, can there be too much hype? I don't think there can be too much hype. I really don't. I mean, what happens when there's too much hype and you don't deliver, 
then you burn out really, you know, just it's a, a crash and burn. You yeah. Know? And even that can be used somehow. <laughs> you know? How do you think you can create hype or do you have plans to create hype with Nuka? I have lots of plans to create hype. Uh, but like I said in the beginning of the conversation, it's increasingly difficult. And that's where a lot of the criticism is. Like when you have, when you go, I hate to keep bringing up Kanye, but he's already so well established in the celebrity world and in the pop world that it, it seems that the people that can generate hype are now the one percenters. You know, mm. it's these people that are already have access to vast networks, PR networks, advertising networks, uh, manufacturing networks. So it's, um, it's, that's frustrating. Mm. But for me, I plan on doing it with technology and by innovating. And, um, you know, that's what I'll, that's what, uh, what I'll be doing. Okay. Taking a bit of time to write a Wi-Fi password yeah, out. Yeah, sorry guys. No worries. And it's all over here. So, you know, with... Because you've now uh, dabbled in the Kickstarter yeah, um, Indiegogo space. Um, some projects have been unsuccessful. Some yeah. projects have been very successful, yes. like the, the last project. Um, I just got my T-shirt, too. Awesome. Yeah, thank yeah. you for that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so talk about that and, you know, why do you think... Well, first talk about some of the... Being an established company and then stepping into the crowdfunding space. Well, yeah, that's difficult for us. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and, and I think a lot of it is because of the perception, right? I've, I've done way too, because, as, you know, I've done branding for multinationals, you know, so my branding game is awesome. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the perception is Nuka, people perceive us as a big company. So our first forays into crowdfunding were abject failures. You read the comments and you see that people think that we're just doing, that a big company is doing it just for the PR and that they'll fund it at the end stealthily on their own, mm. is the expectation. Um, which is, for Nuka, it's not the case. I mean, Nuka is really me and three other people. You know, it's a really small operation. But I've, I've done too good a job with the branding and it is a problem. So when you look at how we approached um, crowdfunding is... Uh, when we did our new chrono, um, which you can still buy, guys, if you look, Google search new chrono, N O O K R O N O, nuka.com backslash new chrono. Um, does that sound like a commercial? Oh, uh, it's not cool. it's yeah. like just like a mid a mid podcast. Yeah, mid podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we I did it as a designer, as Matthew Waltman. Mm -hmm. You know, it was Nuka, but it was still presented as a designer. And then I don't know how you. I, I'm sure your listeners would like to hear about this. I also feel that there's uh, an eight, well, I know there's ageism in crowdfunding, and there's also sexism in crowdfunding, and there's racism in crowdfunding. I mean, mm -hmm. if you look at the successful, I don't want to be too provocative here, but it's like if you're not like a 20 something tall, skinny white guy, you're not going to get the same type of reception on mm. crowdfunding. And how do you feel about that? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that. When I see things blow up and like, you know, now it's few and far between, mm -hmm. but it seems to be those, you know, like, there seems to be a gen, and I mean, I think even like Funny or Die might have done a video about this, mm -hmm. so like a gen, like this is what a crowdfunding video looks like. And yeah, it's like, yeah. hey, we're these two guys. We want to change the world by doing this. Da -da 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 -da. Right. 
and we're this is our office and you know there's some sort of quirky funniness to it mm-hmm. and then you know and and then there's like all these there's there's graphics and you know this is how this thing was built and put together and it usually is you know it, i don't really see too much diversity no, in that. i don't see not. a lot of women i don't see a lot of uh you know and I'm, mind you i'm talking about the popular ones no, the, the that, ones that's, that that's my point yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, what i feel is i got the white thing down um, <laughs> but i you know i'm older than what this ideal you know presenter on crowdfunding is supposed to be and there's definitely this ageism about um you know, if you're uh, in your 40s, you should. There's this expectation that you should be successful. It's why are you asking for money? Mm. Um, so, you know, we. I I know now from our failures to actually integrate, you know, a, a 25 year old in the video. You wow. Know, and, yeah. and wow. I'm, That's interesting. Yeah. So it, when you're talking about hype, you know, you learn the game as you as you do it. Yeah. So, I think the next time I do it, I'm not gonna. I probably won't even be in the video. I might even hire an actor, because you know, these things are real. You yeah, know, you, yeah. You can you can be angry about them, but that doesn't help change your situation. What it is, yeah, yeah. What it is, it is <laughs> yeah. what it is. Yeah. yeah. So it's. Um, uh, let's talk about that perception, man, because I, that's something that we've talked about for years. Mm-hmm. You know, Nuka being perceived as this massive watch company that, or not the design company. Yeah. Um, but you know, because you are known for watches. Uh, I, I, I think that yeah it's 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 something that you know you've you've expressed to me that has maybe stifled the growth. Um, how how are you how are you overcoming that? How do you you know achieve because you don't want to because you're such a good designer. You mm-hmm. know the website has to be clean. The website mm-hmm. has to function. It has to work. But like you know the whole user experience of 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 receiving a product, ordering a product, it has to be in tip top shape yeah so how, how do you you know you don't want to make the website worse <laughs> yeah, yeah to 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 attract investors well it's it's interesting it's also about the product category um there's nothing i can do about it if you're producing a watch people perceive that as a very difficult process and it is mm-hmm. so people's perception is that the company is going to be large and um indeed a lot of uh, because they think it's not easy to do they think it's not easy yes to do, okay right? And then, of course, you have the presentation and the website. You know, I do a good job with that stuff because I've, that's what I did for other people. I mean, it's my expertise. So, mm-hmm. But my, uh, whether it's my strength or my weakness, that's always the hard thing to tell, is my goal was always for the, to create Nuka as this really cool brand and then acquire, get acquired by a larger brand. Mm-hmm. And I, to my detriment, I didn't research like how that's, you know, I don't know if it would have helped if I had researched, like, how do you do that from the start, mm-hmm. strategically. Do you now know how to do that? Well, um, it's hard. It's definitely hard because the, the cycle, um, investors like, well, I don't want to sound uh, like an asshole, but investors are not as smart as I thought they were. Like, it's very much, um, they follow other people. Like, mm. if you go back five years ago, or the investors were only interested in software, like, only in apps. Mm. Like, everyone thought they were going to make their millions and gazillion dollars in iPhone apps. And uh, so that shrunk the pool of capital available for anyone doing physical product, right? So now with wearable tech, it's the pendulum is starting to swing back. But even for us, the value of Nuka 
is in the brand itself. And the period when investors were investing in brands, like as, as brand equity and brand assets, was you have to go back more than 10 years. Mm. So it's, it's also about timing. It's like you have to really try to gauge what is the appetite of the investors because they they move in a, they follow each other they, you know so they um, and they most of them lose money you know and uh, you have to uh, and the, the reason all this money is moving around because everyone's trying to get that one hit you know that covers all the losses uh, for the things that didn't didn't take off but there is a trend you know like the people used to invest in apps now it's moving more towards hardware which is good for us but still, more, more than that, Nuka is, is really a brand asset. So it's about getting in front of the right people. And, uh, you know, it's a moving target. So it's a, I have no idea if I answered your question. No, I, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I tend to go on these rampant, <laughs> no, no, no. these uh, different um, here. Talk about wearable tech and, you know, what you're entering that space. Yeah. Um, and I guess how, how is Nuka carving out its own niche within that space? Well, right now we've been developing uh, designs and IP. Um, I don't see... IP is intellectual uh, Yeah, intellectual property. property yeah, trademarks and patents and things. Um, and we're looking for, for funding as well. Uh, whether it'll be crowdfunded or institutional, we're still working on. But uh, I don't see uh, the... Currently, seeing the wearable, like the wristwatch, the, the wrist-based tech... I, I think the health thing is a bit of a flash in the pan because uh, I think that that with sensor technology is going to be integrated into all kinds of other parts of your life. Um, but I also think that it's the, making the, the watch an extension of a phone is also an important stage in wearable tech, but I don't think it's the end game. Mm. So I, I really want to enter it intelligently and at the right time. So what do you see happening? Like, if you can make a prediction. Well, it's not just my prediction. It's really more about the Internet of Things than it is about the actual wearables themselves. Um, what we saw happen in cell phones is, at the beginning, yeah, people were able to protect their IP. You know, you saw a couple of years ago where Apple was suing Samsung, Samsung was suing Apple, HTC was suing Apple, and back and forth. And it just gets to a point where... Uh, the technology itself becomes commodified. You can go to any, you know, factory, uh, not any factory, but you can go to any factory that makes cell phones and they can crank out a fairly high-quality product now. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, you know, you have Apple, which has never really marketed on features. They've always marketed on brand. And this is a story that I, I have a hard time convincing other people when I meet partners, but Apple gets it. Okay. Their marketing is a brand. But other people, if you look at everyone who's not Apple, they're marketing on features. They're trying to say, oh, well, we have a better camera or we have a better, you know, uh, bigger, a bigger screen. Mm -hmm. And then, but the end of the, end of the game, end of the day, they're not getting the same price point. They're not getting, they're not selling at retail price. Mm -hmm. Like Apple never discounts the iPhone, mm -hmm. but can you get a 99 cent Amazon Fire phone? Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... Um, when you look at how commodified the technology is and the features are all commodified as well, it, it's really a brand game. Mm. So what I'm watching now with wearables is the same thing. You know, people are competing now because the features uh, might look proprietary and are sexy at the moment, 
but then Apple or someone else is going to come out and make it a fashion game and blow everyone else out of the water. Mm. And especially with the te- with the health monitoring piece, you know, the FDA is going to be regulating that. Yeah. And again, that's anti-competitive because then small companies they can't afford uh, to get through this accreditation process with the FDA to do something that's a health device, um, and then you're 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 out of business. Yeah, I, w- I mean that's. I was my next question was going to be you know how do you compete in wearables with companies like Apple, Samsung? Well, it has to be strategic, and it. I don't. I mean, I'm just a, ever an optimist. I just don't think it's impossible. I mean, I think uh, part of especially if you can get a small, like you're saying, one percent, a small slice of that of that pie. pie. It's, it's a it's a good business. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also it's uh, what the good thing. The, the thing about wearables is it is a personal object. You wear it on your body. It's not this, even the same thing as a cell phone. Mm. So uh, the fashion rules are going to apply a lot more than the technology rules. Mm-hmm. And right now, everything has been designed for a certain demographic. It's mostly this like San Francisco geeky guy. And that's uh, not fly. It's not fly, <laughs> and it's not, you know, and you're going to sell a lot, yeah. yeah. But you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be... Uh, you know, it's not going to be Uniblow. It's not going to be this huge, yeah, like, you know, yeah. everyone has one type yeah. of thing. Yeah, and that, yeah, I think that's where, I mean, Samsung especially, man, the design of a lot of the products, the watches, I'm just like, that's not cool. I wouldn't... Well, the funny thing is, uh, going back to hype and brand, I don't think the design is the problem. Mm. It's the brand. So the, yeah, per- the so, brand of Samsung. And that, and that colors your perception of the design. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, for people to say, oh, well, you know... The iPhone is a better design than the Galaxy. Come on, they look exactly the same. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. there are little details about the iPhone that I love—the the, the curved edges on, on the screen. Yeah, you know, yeah, there, yeah. there's certain things that someone might point to that they love about their Galaxy. But big picture, it's you know, it, it's a brick. It's a, yeah, it's it's a an ingot. It's <laughs> yeah. an ingot with the glass on the front and yeah. either metal or plastic on the back. It's got a camera on either side. Uh, so it's not the design. Uh, people are perceiving these differences in the design because of their perceptions of the, the brand. brand. Yeah. And uh, Samsung is uh, the perception and this is these are most of these brand perceptions they're subconscious. So the subconscious perception of Samsung as a as a brand is flat screen TVs. I mean that's people aren't conscious of it but that's why when they look at the wearables they think well this doesn't look good. It actually does look good. Mm-hmm. Like if that was branded as Nuka with some tweaks, you would you would love it. I think you saying that even just it, that's exactly what I feel. Yeah, it's like you know I don't want to wear a Samsung on my wrist. Yeah, period. exactly. You know? period. <laughs> yeah. And that is not about design. That's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. about brand. Uh, uh, you know, because you want uh, what fashion does. And back to universal language, it uh, it gives these um, subconscious cues to your personality it, it tells your status uh, you know what kind of uh, person you are you know are you an elitist are you a futurist are you a douchebag um, yeah. you know are you, what are you concerned with like you know are you a sexy guy are you a geeky guy I yeah. mean there's so much information in your accessories and that's that's really what it's about and that's that's why I feel that the timing for Nuka to then find the right partners to, to really be a part of, of this big, you know, new category is really is, is awesome. So, what does an ideal partner look like for you? 
Are well, there are there are there companies that you specifically want to link up with? I mean, I honestly, I mean, Samsung would be perfect. Any anyone with the manufacturing and the distribution capabilities would be perfect. So. And you guys would bring the design and the brand. Element actually, the brand element. The yeah, brand element. Okay. The brand element. Uh, I think. You know, Microsoft would be good. Any of the Chinese phone manufacturers would be great. The LG. The LGs, uh -huh. the HTCs, the Asuses, the Microsofts, mm -hmm, the, even mm -hmm. the Intels. You know, those would be awesome uh, partners because they have... I have a piece that they're missing, and they have a couple of pieces that I'm missing. Mm -hmm. And then I guess, what, what does a partnership like that look like? Is it... Does, does Nuka still, in your ideal world, is Nuka still in existence and then they just own a stake? Or is it wrapped up into, you know, because it, it could be like the Google, like how Google acquires companies where, yeah. you know, they, they just take this company and then they put it into like an area or, or a, uh, some, some sort of Google vertical. You know? Yeah, well, but Google, um, the only time they've actually taken, a, they, they buy companies for the technology. Mm -hmm. uh, the only time they acquired a brand was Nest. Mm -hmm. And so you see, they didn't, they didn't integrate it. They just bought that as a new category. But I think it would be more, again, more like a fashion model. Like if you look at, um, you know, Estee Lauder, I mean, it's a totally different category. But they have their own core house brand. Mm -hmm. But then when they see a new market, like when Mac Cosmetics, for example, Bobby Brown, you know, okay. they'll, they'll buy those brands, and uh, and they'll the brands retain their autonomy, and uh, but they just benefit from you know the economies of scale, mm -hmm. and it becomes uh, everyone becomes a, a greater whole. Or when you look at LVMH or uh, other uh, fashion groups, or even Fossil, you know, they, or Swatch, they all. Um, they might license uh, a brand and sell it and then decide that this uh, company is going to be better integrated if we buy or we invest in them. So mm -hmm. for me, it's, uh, I'm pretty agnostic uh, how the structure of that type of uh, deal would be. I'm, I'm really open. Mm -hmm. It sounds also, you know, another example I thought of was uh, Coca-Cola and vitamin water. Exactly, like that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, you're, yeah. you're trying to get a new market or... Um, you know, and there there are cases where companies uh, acquire sub brands, and the sub brand becomes larger than the company, and they swap places. And yeah. you know, it's, uh, people were talking about Tim Hortons buying Burger King, or uh, when you look at there was a Japanese holding company that bought um, 7-Eleven, and they mm -hmm. licensed 7-Eleven in Japan, but now 7-Eleven is a Japanese company. I mean, the license really? became the company. Yeah. Wow. I had yeah, no idea. You can't you can't predict the future. You can have. I like to set some goals, but yeah. Yeah. How? Um, what do you think? In this stage of your career, what do you think you can get better at, or what do you think you need to learn more about? Well, I, I do need to learn more about finance, um, and I could certainly. Um, yeah, I think it's probably business. Yeah, but then again, you know, it's hard to say because. If I wasn't so like you could say that my obsession with uh, the virtues of my brand um, has hurt the business, some people might say that, but that's very normal for any type of creative. You know, you need to find the right partner. So I'm not sure if I need to change my focus. I think that my my path of becoming this. I also think one of my strength is I'm very articulate as a creative. You know, I'm not a designer that can't 
explain to you like why this button is this shape or why is this this color. I'm uh, extremely articulate about uh, design and design as a language. So um, I just want to keep getting better at that for mm -hmm. sure, mm -hmm. and then find probably find the partners that can do the business and the finance part because at this point in my life I gotta I don't know. You can, you can teach an old dog new tricks. I learn new tricks all the time. <laughs> Sometimes it's better to just focus on what you know. Yeah, yeah, what you're good at. Yeah. Well, new partners, he's looking for you, all right? Get involved. Get in contact with Nuka. Uh, let people know where they can find out more about the brand, where they can follow the brand, where they can follow you personally, all that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, Nuka is N-O-O-K-A. Um, Nuka.com is our website. Our Twitter is also just Nuka. I'm personally, because my background in uh, social media and interactive design, I'm obsessed with Instagram. Uh, <laughs> but our Instagram is Nuka underscore global. And uh, that's a good place to find us. Uh, we just started uh, putting energy into wholesale again. We've been pretty much an online um, brand for the last uh, couple of years. So look for more store placements coming soon. Nice. And uh, I started a personal social media project called Thing Love. Uh, I think I saw this. Yeah, it's on Instagram. And okay. I'm going to do an uh, autobiography told through the story of objects I own. So hmm. that's uh, Instagram.com backslash thinglove. Okay. T-H-I-N-G-L-O-V-E. Okay. All right. Yeah. Nice, nice. Well, guys, definitely stay posted and, you know, involved with what Nuka has going on. It's always something cool. It's always some new tricks up. This guy's sleeve. And then uh, keep, keep watching Jabari. I, I see him. <laughs> I see you doing the Tonight Show eventually. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> like one of those like big... Really? Yeah, yeah. I absolutely. don't know. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm you're <laughs> always been one of your hugest fans. No, you, so. have, you have. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's been very appreciative. I've been very appreciative, rather. Um, all right, guys. Well, words with friends. You guys know, like I said, if you want to keep the podcast going, you guys can support it. Patreon.com slash Jabari. Um, leave as little as a $1 tip. More stuff is coming. Um, yeah. Enjoy your week. And I'll be back to talk with you guys soon and some more cool people. All right. Peace.